Hello, Sammy. How's it going? Thank you for taking the time to do this. My pleasure. How are you? I'm good. It's kind of a gray day. Oh, a quick aside, actually, before we begin properly. One of the guests I've interviewed, he does makeup for movies, and he worked on the two Deadpool movies. He does the uh, Ryan Reynolds, like, pizza face makeup, right? Okay. When he's, like, the scabbing uh, and scarring, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he told me a number of stories off camera and on camera. And one of them was that there was, uh, between takes, they were changing some lights or doing something. And uh, he was touching up some of the makeup for Josh Brolin, as who was Cable. This is in the second movie. And they were shooting in an abandoned uh, insane asylum, psychiatric hospital. This is all uh -huh. like creepy and things. I think they use it as a mutant orphanage in the, in the movie. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. so Josh is like, I want to check out this place. Like, because we have a couple minutes between while they're changing the lights and stuff. He's like, I want to check out this place. So Makeup Dude and Josh uh, dressed up fully, completely as Cable, started going down the hallway and started exploring and looking some of the other rooms. They were joined in a few minutes later by Ryan Reynolds, who was, of course, in the Deadpool gear. And uh, they got to this, like, one room. It's this large room. And all three of them instantly felt this chill and this kind of, like, malevolent spirit. Ryan Reynolds made some joke, and they're like, they got out of there quickly. But it's just interesting, like, as a visual, just that, like, Cable and Deadpool, like, traipsing through, like, an Arkham Asylum, <laughs> basically, and just kind of encountering yes. like, dark spirits. <laughs> but when you tell the story, I picture Ryan and Josh and the makeup guy <laughs> traipsing through <laughs> Arkham Asylum because, because they, they spend far less time of their lives portraying a character than they do <laughs> being themselves, you would hope. Yeah, suspension of disbelief, right? That's what uh, you yeah. sell. Yo! Welcome, welcome, welcome to my summer later. I am your host, Sammy. I procrast way too much to cover up a conspiracy. You name. I'm totally going to do one of those Troy McClure introductions because you do know my next guest from such incredible and amazing comic books, such as The New Warriors. Cable and Deadpool. Oh, man, that was so good. Most of the X-Books, X-Men, Uncanny, X-Force, he's had such a strong and popular run on them. In fact, he was the co-creator of Deadpool with Rob Liefeld. So if you haven't read the books but you've seen the movies, thank Fabian for Deadpool. He's written almost every major Marvel character. And now, at the tender age of six, he has written his first novel, Suburban Dicks. Can you believe that? That's so impressive. Welcome to the program. Fabian Nisiesa. So to clear up one mystery, the term dick as slang for detective did not come from popular comic strip character Dick Tracy. So I wonder if he helped cement that connection. According to historical dictionaries, the origin of the noun dick, as in the detective sense, traces back to around 1864. To the criminal underworld, it was slang, and obviously a verb, to dick, meaning to watch, to look, to see. To quote Spock, fascinating. We jump from 1864 to the present with a murder mystery novel, sort of, kind of, not really, written by Fabian Nisiesa, Suburban Dix. Suburban Dix defies easy explanation. It's much easier to break down the origins of Dick as in detective. Still, it is fantastic and highly recommended reading. <laughs> and this conversation was such a treat for me to talk to dude after reading so many spectacular comics. And now this remarkable novel. Fabian calls Suburban Dicks a sarcastic suburban mystery, which is accurate, as you're about to hear. 
Are you ready? Let's visit West Windsor, Plainsboro, New Jersey. This is where the novel Suburban Dick starts with the odd murder of a gas station attendant and a child who needs to pee so badly. Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. In doing the research for this, a number of times I would see one of your credits listed as like the co-creator of Deadpool. And that meant something like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right? When people were reading comics. But now these movies have come out. All these kind of other things have happened. Uh, so that that credit now has a lot more cachet, I guess, a lot more value. Uh, yeah, well, I think that I think that wave has kind of um, has kind of has kind of ebbed. It, it had a lot more. It had a lot more of that kind of cachet a couple of years ago. Uh, right now, it has a, a little bit less of that cachet. I'm sure if they make another movie and it comes out with the Disney marketing machine, it'll have the cachet again. But I I I, I use it when it it serves my purpose to use but i don't i don't i don't live it as if it's if it's all i have mm -hmm. in my life or all i have to do um if anything you know i i write the character so rarely now that when i do it's really just for a fun diversion uh and then i'm on to something else you know um it, it's a good convention cachet when you're at conventions it it served a good purpose in selling the book because 10 years ago, like you said, my manuscript going out to a publisher wouldn't wouldn't have meant as much if it said co-creator of Deadpool as it does now, because the editor who's looking at that submission, that manuscript being given to them by an agent, is fully aware of who Deadpool is. Mm -hmm. Whether he saw the he or she saw the movies, whether he or she liked the movies, it doesn't matter. You know who the character is and you know that that translated into revenue for a lot of people right <laughs> so an editor an editor will look at that manuscript and think oh maybe this will translate to revenue for me if it's any good let me read it mm -hmm. whereas 10 10 years ago or 15 years ago they would not have made those connections you know and the manuscript you're talking about right now like for example is like suburban dicks so First of all, happy birthday! Because I know you had a birthday. Oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. A couple of weeks Unfortunately, ago. I don't, I don't feel more than a week and a half over sixty. <laughs> okay. And I wanted to know, like, knowing that like sixty was coming up, did that prompt your debut novel? Because it almost seems like overdue in a sense, considering how long and storied your writing career has been. Um, uh, yes, yes, and no. I, I had the idea for the book a long time ago, 25 years ago, and, and I had the title and the characters and the, the breakdown, and I tried to write it a, a, about two times, two, let's say let's say two for real. Uh, one time I, I tried and I just stopped after a couple of days because an assignment came up on a tight deadline and then I abandoned <laughs> it. But, but the two times I tried to write it, I, I, I just, as with so much of my prose, when I did try to write it, I wasn't happy with what I wrote. That's all. So I, I just chucked it after 30 pages. I think the first time was about 40 pages. I think the second time was only about 30 pages. I just chucked it because I wasn't happy with it. Mm -hmm. And um, around 2017, uh, I, I'd had a, a couple really uh, good years with a lot of work on my plate. And I, I wanted um, I wanted it in 2018 to, uh, to, to do a little more for myself, um, take a shot at a couple things. 
And, and so I started the book again and, and lo and behold, this time I didn't, I didn't dislike it so much is what it amounts to. Um, and I had a couple people read it and they read the first three chapters, four chapters, and they were all very encouraging, which was very helpful because it, it, it told me to keep going. And, and I just kept going. And it was a year with a lot of personal strife for me because I lost both my parents within six months of each other and I lost my dog in the middle. So, um, so, so 2018 was rough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, um, yeah. I mean, my parents and my mom especially was, was much older. So, so it, it, it was, you know, it was not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my dad was a little bit younger than my mom. That was a bit of a surprise, but he'd had, he'd had some heart issues and it was a heart attack. Uh, they're killed and my dog was the big surprise because that one wasn't she wasn't even 10 years old i wasn't expecting that one oh, boy, um yeah. and she was she was my office assistant yeah she did all my accounting my filing she was my office assistant oh, that's so, a good dog. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it really threw off the business aspect of things too. Yeah, yeah. um and um and it, that derailed me a few times for a, few, a couple of weeks at a time but in some ways that that also fueled me more because losing that losing them made me even more determined to 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 accomplish something uh as much to as much to continue paying respects to to you know all the things they did and the chances they took to come here and the 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 upheaval in their own lives in order to try to make better lives for their children all of that stuff we understand you and i understand what that means more so than than other people might and and so much of that is very internalized you know the immigrant Um, hustle yeah yeah so i just kept plugging away um and and, um and and it wasn't my number one priority through all of 2018 because i had paying work to do but but you know i go sometimes two three four days writing anything in the book and i just go back and i plug a little bit and and it, it it was a lot of fun i was enjoying it um and when I finished in January of 2019, uh, I hired an editor to, I paid an editor to read it uh, and, and give me notes because I felt the manuscript was way too long. I, I, I thought that there was a lot of good stuff here, but there is probably stuff that I really need to, to, to hone. Mm-hmm. And she came back with really, really good, good pointers good 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 um good thoughts and ideas on 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 where I strayed, where I can tighten up. Um, over verbiage and how to how to control your verbiage and your prose, all of this stuff, right? But the most un- important aspect of of that entire interaction and exchange was she thought it was good. That and she's been around for a long time and she's read hundreds of manuscripts and she thought it was good. And that that really also validated the continuation of the effort. Mm-hmm. So I all on my own again, I started to cut, cut, cut. I, a 540 page manuscript, I, I cut down to 450. And, and in that process in 2019, I had a business meeting and I'm, um, it was a, a United Talent Agency in, in Manhattan about some other stuff with some other people. But one of the properties that I gave permission to represent for a potential audio drama proposal was Suburban Dicks, um, under the complete understanding that this is my property, my copyright, and I'll share it with my friends who have a company that was making the pitch because they needed a little more diversity in their content. There was too much sci-fi fantasy, you know? Um, and the agent at UTA who was presiding over the meeting really was interested in the concept of Suburban Dicks. 
and and I told him there's no manuscript yet because I'm still working on it. Mm-hmm. I'm in the I'm in the process now of trimming. You know, and this was between this. I think it was February 2019, so it was literally like a month after the editor had given me her notes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, "When it's done, we'd be interested in taking a look at it." And that was just like, "There you go." That 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 if, if it's almost it's I won't say it's almost impossible. It's super hard to sell a book, no matter who you are, without without agency representation of some. Correct. They're the they're the ones who are the middlemen that get their foot in the doors and know who to show things to, why to show it to certain people, what how to position the manuscript, all of this stuff that that most of us who are just busy typing away don't know, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, um. So so my agent, uh, Al, Al, the the agent at that time, Albert Lee. Um, I got the manuscript. I think in uh, early summer, June. June or July of 2019, and his whole team read it, and they came back with some notes, uh, some suggestions, uh, some character alterations that didn't really, in many ways, alter the characters at all, but made it actually more interesting, dynamic for for all of them involved. Um, and the caveat: you got to cut another 50 to 75 pages out of this. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I went ahead and I said, all right, these the notes were great. I I really appreciated them. I thought they were smart. It was multiple people chiming in and sometimes that becomes a cluster f but mm-hmm. in this case it didn't you know um and, and i just went ahead for the next few months and and cleaned it up tightened it even more got it down to what was it 390 i think the manuscript and i said that's it i can't do any more i i i was done in in late october i said um this is it i, I can't do any more to this without a, an editor who wants to buy it telling me Right. what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then for the sake of the fact that he's going to pur- he or she's going to purchase it, I, I, then I'll do it. But right now, you know, um, I, I, it, it's also the longest I've ever spent on any one thing. I come from a, uh, I come from a world of, of, of monthly cyclical churn, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get one done, you don't even have time to really think about it too much because you're already working on the next three or four down the road, you know, and deadlines. You got you got massive monthly deadlines yes. in comic books. Yeah. You know, uh, manuscripts for books. I, I, it was almost like a freaking pleasure cruise around the planet. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like you just go, oh, I'm gonna just tinkle a little bit on this today. Okay, I'm done. You know, <laughs> and it, it um it, it was very um it, it was very off putting to me because it's not what I'm used to. It's also not how I'm wired. I'm I'm wired to to grind and and plug it out and get on to the next one and and this was a constant reevaluation and 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 um uh, and sometimes reinvention of what you wrote and it, 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 i ended up enjoying the process a lot and thinking it was better as a result of it but that's almost a hindsight evaluation because at the time it was like oh my god i can't read this freaking you know, yeah. manuscript again. I can't. I can't tweak these words again. And and the hilarity is that if I started reading the book right now, I guarantee you, within the first page, I'd go, Ah, I should have. T- I, I could tweak that, or I could change that word. And it just it gets to the point where net, once you become used to doing it, you never. You, you feel like you can never stop doing it. You know, it's the creative problem where like you're better at the end of the project than when you started. So. Yeah, I think so. And and writing the second book was tremendously easier for me. Um, I, I I I hit my I hit my my basic 
um, my, my basic outline, I was able to break down far more smoothly. My, my page count, I was able to completely um, handle and have under control. Um, the, 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 only, the only real major rewrites I had to do in the second book was to, to, to add one or two small subplots to percolate for some of the supporting characters. Mm -hmm. And it, it really didn't even require any kind of massive rewriting per se. It actually just uh, required um, plugging in a little bit more. So I added a chapter and, and I added a page to this chapter or a page to that chapter to, to create that exchange. Um, and that, those were good suggestions from my editor as well. So, you know, um, I, I feel like if I get an opportunity to do a third one of any kind, I'll be even better in the process as a result. You yeah. Know? The second one you're talking about is The Self-Made Widow, which comes out June 21st. Uh, June twenty, yeah, ju uh, June twenty first, twenty twenty two, this year. Yes. Correct. Yeah. I, my my brain is so like thrown off now by the long lead time that I had to add twenty twenty two into that equation. <laughs> yes, the yes, this year it comes out. You're right. Um, uh, and uh, the yeah, you have a time. You yeah, have time. yeah, it, it comes out in June, and the paperback for Suburban Dicks will come out in May. And in terms of what you were saying before about writing Suburban Dicks and like that constant reevaluation and like getting that validation that this was good. Was that kind of like, again, just part of the reinvention of yourself as a writer? Because like you said, with comics, you're just grinding it out. You have deadlines all the time, so you don't get as much leisure time to kind of sit back and look at what you've done, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have, um, I, I've never pretended to be the writer who'll win awards. And I've never pretended to be the writer who craves uh, positive reviews. I, I, um, part of the reason for that is because my entire my entire DNA in becoming a writer was based on on quantity over quality, mm -hmm. and, and 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 the quantity was the validation, both in in the amount of work you could do and the amount that work could sell, and 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 quality quickly became a very uh, subjective thing. It's very easy to to um, to concern yourself less with the quality of the material, or to to really uh, really honestly evaluate the quality of your own work when it is selling a lot, and the majority of the audience that it is selling to is telling you they like it, mm -hmm. you know and they continue buying it, which is a validation, not of its quality, but it is a validation of reader retention period, you know, mm -hmm. and reader retention is vastly important in comic books, monthly comic books. Um, so it, it, I got to the point by the time I hit my forties where, where doing a subjective uh, or an objective uh, crit a critique of my own work became harder and harder. Mm -hmm. um, and the book, the book was really one of the one of the few times in my in my 35 year career as a writer, as a professional writer, where um, I could I could really give myself the time to 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 look at the work, to 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 really dig into 
the words in each sentence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is comics is a, is a collaborative process. So you're honestly only as good as a writer, as, as your artist, as your, as, as your penciler, as your inker, even as your letter, your colorist, and, and as your editor, and as the company you're working for, and as the, 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 the production um, position that you're in, how late are you, how much time do you have, you know, all of these things combined. So there's plenty of comics I've written where I was dissatisfied, although others might have been satisfied, I was dissatisfied. Uh, with myself there were uh, plenty of comics i've written where i wasn't dissatisfied with myself but yeah. i don't think the art was that good you know but mm-hmm. but you, you're not going to call out an artist i mean that's just that's just yeah, that's yeah. just poor form you mm-hmm. know um so, so the book on the other hand you know you don't have you don't have too many other people to to blame or praise but yourself mm-hmm. you know um if, for better or worse even with plenty of outside input and feedback, which I received in the, in the process of, of writing it, 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 it is a, a, true, a, a true example of my writing. It is me, you mm-hmm. know, both, but, and ultimately I realized, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, Sam, I realized this after the fact, it is ultimately a, a, a thematically a true a, a statement of me. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of me in this book and it, I didn't necessarily think of it that way as I was doing, it, mm-hmm. you know, but, but it, it, it's, it's, it's of, it's of a lot of my experiences in my life, uh, often exaggerated for dramatic effect and stuff course, like yeah. that. But, but, um, but, but in trying to tell an entertaining story, which ultimately is my goal, I'm trying to entertain the reader. Um, but I also want them to walk away and think a little bit about what they read. I don't, I, I don't want them to think about it so much that it hurts their head. I just want <laughs> them to think about it enough that they go, huh, okay, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, or I hadn't thought of that, or I, I hadn't, I hadn't looked at myself that way, or I hadn't looked at my neighbor that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and hopefully it, it, hopefully it does that. It seems to have based on reader reaction and critical reaction um, that that was a kind of a cherry on top to the entire thing for me. Right. Uh, you control sales so little in, in, in publishing as an author uh, that, that you, you, I learned a long time ago, nothing, just cause it sells well, doesn't mean it's great. And just cause it doesn't sell well, doesn't mean it's bad. So I, I, I kind of divorced myself from thinking about the sales too much. Cause it's, I think that's a rabbit hole you can fall into and you become lost in it. Um, especially in a field for me that I'm not even that in touch with, which is hardcover book publishing i haven't been involved in book publishing since 1983 so i couldn't yeah i couldn't even begin to tell you what what would what a publisher would constitute as a success or a failure in terms of the units they sell you mm-hmm. know um so so i only i only was able to look at reader reaction i was only able to look at critical reaction i i got reviews for this book which are unlike the anything that i'm necessarily used to in the comic book industry you know, I, I got big, heavy hitting book publications that gave it really strong reviews and recommendations, right. you know, starred review from Kirkus, from Publishers Weekly, from Crime Reads Magazine, you know, Kirkus Reviews, a whole bunch of really strong reviews. 
and then read a reaction to it uh, as far as you can measure it, which unfortunately is really only things like Goodreads and, and Amazon response and rankings on Amazon. Um, that, that has all been really strong too. Um, so, so I, 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 take, I take all of that with a grain of salt. I, I take a one-star review with just as much of a grain of salt as a five-star review, but I, I, of course I prefer the five-star <laughs> review, but, but I, take the one, I take it all with a little bit of a grain of salt. Uh, what I do look at is the mathematical whole. And when you have 1,500 ratings on Goodreads and you're at a 4.1, that means that the vast majority mathematically of people have enjoyed the book, mm -hmm. you know? So that, that's a good thing. That, um, I'm, I'm happy about that, you know? And that validation that you're talking about, it almost sounds like Suburban Dicks is kind of in a way like your greatest hits, like the way a band will stop after a certain point and look back at what they've written, or like all the songs that they have and kind of put out like a collection of greatest hits. And it sounds like it's a lot of the themes and a lot of the ideas that you put into Suburban Dicks kind of like now this culmination of your writing career, you're able to kind of like distill it and funnel it down into Suburban Dicks. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes and no. Y yes, absolutely. Because it, it is reflective of many of the things I have tried to write about within the context of trying to write to theme within a superhero universe at Marvel or a superhero universe at DC. Um, I, I have often written about the other and alienation and, and, and questioning authority and the systems that have been put in place and, and the preconceived notions people have of how things should or shouldn't be done. I, I've always, always written to that from New Warriors to Nomad mm -hmm. to Cable and Deadpool to anything, you know, the, the, the way I don't see it as a culmination is to me, I see it as, as a brand new beginning. You know, I, I see it as a new platform under which I can try to continue to tell stories. Correct. Uh, so that that's, uh, I'm, I just turned 60. That doesn't mean I'm dead. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think I still got, I, I still think I got 10 to 15 years left in me mm -hmm. uh, of, of creative writing before my brain just atrophies and I wither and die. Uh, so so I, I feel like I got 10 to 15 years left of, of, of storytelling. And, and I, I would like to do as much of it as I can in books because I like, I like this experience a lot, but that doesn't preclude other things as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm working on an audio drama uh, a development proposal with some friends. Um, I'm working on a... a a, a, a virtual meta world, the thing with, with this other business group, you know, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still perk. I'm writing an image comic with it, with Kurt Busiek right now. So, so I'm, I'm still percolating. Like I have always tried to do creative content on different platforms. I just, I just liked the prose platform. I enjoyed it. It was fun. And, yeah. And I'd like to do more of it. And was it, was it kind of a challenge, I guess, to discover your own voice after working like so many different characters yeah. and voicing so many different characters? Um, yes. Well, not so much the voice of the characters, which I was very comfortable with um, from the very beginning, partially because they've sat in my head for so long, you know, and partially because when I originally conceived the characters, I made many of them pastiches of people I know. Not, not, no, not a single character is a is a direct copy of anyone I know, but I took bits and pieces from multiple people 
and kind of uh, and kind of molded that into the character way back when in 95 so that helps inform you in terms of their cadence their 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 proclivities and how they converse and how they talk ticks in their body movements and things like that you know Mm -hmm. um the andrea andrea is physically based on on a very close friend of mine who's very short and when she was pregnant she was just so immensely pregnant <laughs> that it, it colored it colored every single one of her movements mm-hmm. you know but she's got a very a very uh, quirky perky sarcastic personality that, that that was able to shine through the the physical exhaustion that she felt you know by being as, as pregnant as she was you know mm-hmm. the, there's a line in the book about her her oozing out of the car almost like an egg yolk and and i actually watched that happen in real life when i saw my friend come out of come out of an suv back in like 1995 i think it was and it was like the slow oozing of a human being out of a car um and, and so that that part of it was was the easy part of it the character part of it the dialogue all of that honestly for me was easy the the part that i really needed to to work on and and it's the main reason i i dumped any prose i had done over the last 25 years um is because i was always trying to write in a voice that i thought a book should be written in if i if if i've been reading a lot of james elroy i thought well, that's cool. Let's try to write in clipped, terse oh. sentences because that's so that's so cool to do it that way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ultimately, that's a fool's that's a fool's errand. That, that that's just dumb. It's just dumb to do that. And mm-hmm. I was dumb in trying to do that. And it's because I didn't know if I had a voice in prose is what it amounted to. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It's because I didn't have confidence that I had a voice in prose. But this is the first time, and I think it's due to age. It's due to age and experience. And and I'm a, I was at a point where I I could I, I didn't have any shits to give anymore. I was done. You know, <laughs> I, I I I I wanted to do this because if I didn't do this at the time that I started it, I I had a strong feeling I would never do it because I would I would convince myself easily not to. You know, and, yeah. and, and don't bother. I got, I got this work I can do. I got that work that's paying. Nah, don't bother. You know, mm-hmm. um, so, so I said, this is the time to do it. And, and, um, and, and for the first time, I didn't struggle to try to find a voice. I just wrote. I just wrote, and and I wrote how I was thinking, not how I thought someone else would be thinking in order to make it a book. <laughs> so I just wrote it the way I, I felt like writing it. So the, yes, the narrative voice has a little bit of snark to it. Yes, the narrative voice jumps between omnisciently and sarcastically probing characters, thoughts, <laughs> motivations, all of that stuff. Yes, the narrative voice has some has commentary to make about the settings that they're in, which may not even necessarily be reflective wholly of the character that is focused on in that thing. And that's one thing I had to keep an eye on. And my editor was really good about keeping an eye on it. Don't, don't, don't let the perspective stray too far from the character you're writing about in this chapter. Because if you notice the chapters bounce back and forth between Kenny and Andrea, um, and they do in the second book uh, as well. So, so I had to make sure that, uh, that, that Fabian didn't interject himself too much into the narrative because the narrator, the narrative voice is Fabian, but it's not Fabian. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 Fabian as filtered through the requirements of the characters that I'm writing. A great, a great yeah. example of what you're talking about is on page eight. And this, I guess, can kind of set up the, the obviously dull question of like, what is suburban dicks about? But on page eight, you write, the pregnant woman said nothing. The child peed like a racehorse. She was a secretariat of urination. Finally, the stream trickled to a drip. Right. So it's that, that sarcasm that you're talking about. But who is the pregnant woman and where are the readers when the novel opens up? Who is she? Andrea Stern is the main character of the book. Um, and and she is, I think she describes herself as, as a, a, an incubation business. Um, <laughs> she, she, she is a should have been FBI profiler who uh, is now pregnant with her fifth child. And... Um, she did not become an FBI profiler because her senior year in college, after solving a notorious serial killer case in Manhattan and helping the FBI to apprehend a, a, a serial killer who had killed multiple people in, in, in New York City while she was in college, um, she became pregnant at, toward the end of her senior year and ended up marrying the, the her boyfriend who got her pregnant. Uh, basically, she married him. Probably she found out she was pregnant about a week before she was ready to break up with him. Um, mm. and, and now, 12, 10, 12 years later, she 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 is um, she is filled with regret, filled with disappointment in herself for many of the choices she made, and feeling incredibly guilty about that because that means she's disappointed about the existence of her children as much as anything else. Um, and and she she lives a suburban existence in a small town in New Jersey, uh, West Windsor, which is uh, Princeton adjacent. Um, it, it's kind of in between New York City and Philadelphia. It, it's right uh, right. It's five minutes away from Princeton and Princeton University. Uh, it has a major train corridor line, which uh, gives you access into New York City or connects you into Philadelphia as well. Um, so it's a it's a big commuter hub. Um, and, and a lot of the people who live here um, over the course of the last 20 years are, are, are first generation or second generation uh, immigrants, uh, Asian Americans into the US. Uh, we have a huge Indian, Pakistani, uh, Korean, Chinese population here in, in West Windsor, Plainsboro. Plainsboro is our sister city. Uh, the, the school systems and all the sports recreational stuff is all linked together. Uh, so Plainsboro is just, is the our adjacent town to our north and she lived here through her middle school and high school years and then she went to columbia so she barely came back to west windsor but um when her husband was looking to open up his own uh financial consulting firm uh he wanted to open it up in princeton and, and um and and as a result they moved back down here while she was pregnant with her second kid um she, she's not really wired to be a mother and she's not really wired to be a wife. Uh, she, she's really wired to solve problems. Uh, that, that's been who she has been since she was really a little kid. Um, and, and when a gas station attendant is, is, is found murdered uh, at a local gas station and she stumbles into the scene, which is the urination scene <laughs> that, that you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, she the she comes alive again because she wants to find out who 
killed this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and through the course of that investigation, she reconnects with a childhood friend of hers uh, named Kenny Lee. He uh, is a reporter for a local weekly newspaper. He's just turning. He's just about to turn thirty. Uh, when he was in college, Kenny Lee. Uh, uncovered a story that led to the downfall of the New Jersey governor's administration and it, working in conjunction with a larger newspaper, he ended up winning a Pulitzer Prize for that story. So he was a Pulitzer Prize winner, like around the age of 22. And now at the age of 29, he's working for a weekly local suburban newspaper. So uh, his, his, his career trajectory has not gone the way he wanted it to. And um, he's, he's known Andrea since they were kids because his older brother uh, dated her all through middle school and high school, actually. It was one of those relationships we all know from high school where the, the, the couple actually stays together like for years and sometimes they end up getting married in, 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 in Andrea's case, so that didn't happen. But, but Kenny was in love with Andrea when he was a little kid. When he was 10, 11 years old, he had a gigantic crush on her. She's like, um, she's like three, four years older than him. Um, so, so all, so for those four years that, that, Kenny's brother Carrie and Andrea were together he he just became completely enamored of her but it's a childhood crush and it's not it's not something I don't think that uh, I convey in any kind of a weird way in the book itself it's just he's outgrown it it's just always going to color their relationship because he's no matter what his his natural insecurities are always going to make him feel inferior to her and his natural arrogance is always going to try to make himself <laughs> look good yeah. to her, you yeah. know, um, or, or be better or be smarter. Yeah. But the two of them reconnect and they start investigating together because he has connections she doesn't have um, and she has insights that he doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And, and they begin to investigate the, um, the murder of this gas station attendant. And through the process, they realize that uh, it, it is linked to a murder that happened almost 50 years ago, uh, well, actually 50 years ago in, in the town. And, and that, that, that's like the midpoint twist and, and becomes the fulcrum for the exploration of the changes in suburban landscape, the changes in suburban demographics, uh, white flight and white fear of change being an underlying uh, theme to the entire book. Um, and and the assimilation of immigrants into our our suburban white picket fence culture, uh, which has been around since the 1950s now is the modicum of what, you know, aspiring middle class Americans want to be uh, is an aspect, a thematic aspect that underlies everything in the book. So I just told you what the story is. But when you ask me what the book is about, that's when I say it's about white fear of change and 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 white fear of of of, of demographic uh, uh upheavals that actually happen gradually over the course of time in the areas in which you live in this country you were talking before about like uh, inserting some of the fabianism into the narrator and some of the commentary i guess like a almost like a dvd commentary of uh, new jersey life and did you almost treat it almost like a like a as a satire um, yeah, and I, I think maybe one of the problems that, um, one of the problems that, uh, that I, I have it talking about the book is that it's not, I don't, I don't feel it's that easy to categorize, you know? Yeah, um, I'm struggling too. 
it's not a murder mystery per se because I'm not a murder mystery writer. Um, it's not a comedy or a satire per se because it's got a tremendous amount of of ugly, harsh stuff in it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, it it's not a social commentary per se because the narrative thrust of the book is the solving of a murder. You know, mm-hmm. so so but there's a lot of social commentary in there. Um, ultimately i kind of gave up when um when i know when i noticed that that the the default for the publisher and the default for a lot of the review sites and the, the was to to call it a comedy first and foremost i, I kind of took a step back and gave up in trying to worry too much about describing it mm-hmm. because it, I, I realized i lost that narrative thread and i have no one to blame for that but myself because it's too i, I think it's too complex a narrative thread it doesn't it doesn't boil itself down to an easy soundbite you know yeah and, and and when when things don't boil down to an easy soundbite nowadays in our in our form of communication you lose the ability to instantly inform someone of what something is you know and and that means that it requires me babbling a little bit more it's, it requires three sentences instead of one sentence you know um yeah. That's why I said satire, right? Just because yeah, as, yeah. as more of a, like to indicate the humor, but also just as a shorthand of kind of what some of the themes you're getting at. Yeah, the, I just, the book, the book is the book. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I, I try to call it a sarcastic suburban mystery uh, as my, as my kind of default go-to. Um, works, yeah. But, 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 but that's as, that's as close as I can come. I mean, the, the second one is, is also a murder mystery, but the murder mystery is really secondary to the character, the character introspection about their own lives and their own their own relationships, um, and 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 that that's underlied by the 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 commentary on on how how the how our casual ex- suburban existence becomes almost stiltifying. To, to the human spirit, <laughs> to, 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 you know, to, to, to the, the, the opportunity or the possibility to be, to be something different or someone different uh, because of the daily grind of, of, of married social, married suburban existence. Right. You know, I got, I got three months, three or four months to really figure out how to try to talk about book two without depressing the living hell out of people <laughs> because because i i don't necessarily think it's a depressing book at all because there's a lot of humor in it there's a lot of fun character stuff in it but but thematically it, it, it i i don't know when i was done with it i looked in the mirror and said yeah why am i not happier <laughs> why yeah. am i not a happier person i don't know yeah. <laughs> why do we choose we only have a real small amount of time on this planet why do we choose to live it the way we do i don't know um so <laughs> you know and, and clearly i haven't answered any of those questions for myself because okay. i'm still sitting here in my house and my family room talking to you <laughs> you know uh yeah so you're not getting wiser as you as you get older then as every birthday unfolds you're not necessarily getting no <laughs> clear no wiser wiser maybe in my ability to make pithy comments about it but certainly not wiser in my ability to do anything about it for myself <laughs> all right well, that's knowing is half the battle. And I, I want to pick up on that thread because it's clear, too, what you're also talking about is like you've made a very uh, distinct line between your superhero work and your 
this prose novel, right, with suburban dicks. It's not related at all to those two things. But at the same time, I'm wondering if, like, the suburbia that you present is almost like a classic uh, death villain trap, right? Because for Kenny and Andrea, it feels like the walls are closing in a little bit. Andrea obviously gave up her uh, career as an FBI profiler and chasing serial killers and got trapped with these kids, as you said. She she doesn't necessarily resent the kids, but she just kind of resents this life that she has. Kenny used to win awards, used to be this really prominent newspaper guy. Now he's, like, doing, like, cheesy like articles in the, in the local paper like it feels to them like the walls are kind of closing in and this murder mystery or however you want to phrase it seems like the one way for them to kind of escape out of that death trap well um i i i don't i had i had a i, I had a, a one definite rule i made for myself when i started the book and i stuck to it, it was no tights no flights no fights. Uh, it, it was it was going to not have any of the tropes or the conceits that that uh, that were part of my thirty years of writing in, in, in superhero comics, mm. you know. And, and and I stuck to that. And and really, the 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 closest you even come to that is a seventy four year old man trying to chase after Kenny with a gun that is probably not even loaded you know um and that 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 chase is only about five feet because the old guy can't run any further you know and kenny escapes in a prius and so so i you know i stuck to that i stuck to that in the second book too uh, it, 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 i did not want those trappings to be in this mm -hmm. but one thing that 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 you gain out of working in a shared superhero universe is the understanding that location creates connectivity it, uh, between characters location creates a past the present and could guide a future for the choices that that your character has made is making or could make hmm. you know um so so the setting in in suburban dicks since it is a real world setting and it is just a slightly exaggerated version of the reality i live in and have lived in for 30 years in this area um I, we came down into this area from just a little further north in new jersey in middlesex county we came down to this area because my wife worked for the state government and i just needed to get into manhattan because i worked at marvel comics nine to five back then mm -hmm. so we moved down to this area in 88 and we've been in this general area since 1988 um so, so I've lived the existence onto which I'm writing. One of the hard parts was actually being at the time a 59-year-old or a 58-year-old writer writing about 34-year-olds and 30-year-olds who are living the life I lived, but 30, you know, yeah. 25, 30 years ago, you know. Um, so, so it was interesting to try to to try to separate my current brain with the experience I have and try to make sure that 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 experience didn't necessarily alter the choices that 34 year old brain would have made, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so the shared universe aspect of superhero comics, Marvel or DC really informs the way I tend to do all of my writing. It's always about continuity and connectivity and history. Uh, uh, so this, uh, there's a history of place here. I, I, there's a specific reason why I wanted Andrew and to have known each other when they were little you know when they were younger because i wanted that history to be there mm -hmm. you know i wanted andrea to have gone to school here but basically fled to get back to new york just to go to columbia and she didn't even come home on summers you know <laughs> she stayed in the city because she was a she she is 
inherently a creature of the city. She she never was happy that she got yanked out of Queens when she was 11 years old, you know, 12 years old. So um, I, I wanted to, to, to create that. There is a history to these characters that I barely hint at just a little bit in the first book. We get it, we reveal a little bit more in the second book. Um, but but if I get a chance to write a third book, a, a, a third Suburban Dicks book, it'll be, you'll, it'll be a lot more revelation about and andrea's history and her youth her childhood the people the the, the the gang that she hung out with they were a bunch of con artists and grifters uh all of that stuff because it'll inform the the murder mystery set in the present day um so so i i i definitely took that aspect of my writing experience into into play here you know, um, I, I, had, I saw some readers who complained about that. You, you, you mentioned stuff, but you don't develop it and build it. Yeah, well, because, it, you know, mentioning it was pertinent to that, the, the moment of that character in the book. But that doesn't mean it was pertinent to the telling of the entire story of the book. And the entire story of the book does not necessarily mean it's the entire story of the character. It's your reading experience. It certainly has a beginning, a middle and an end your reading experience could begin middle and end right there with this book that doesn't mean the characters beginning middle and end is contained solely to that book you know so i'm, I'm not gonna write pages and pages and pages of, of andrea's past if it's not pertinent to the story in the present in fact in the second book i had a bunch of flashback chapters um each of them, both Kenny and Andrea had flashback chapters because I felt that it informed the themes of the book and it informed the current day mystery they were trying to solve. Uh, my editor, who's not a fan of flashbacks at all, and I knew that going in and he knew that I was going to try it, made me made me not cut them out, but really whittle them down. Mm -hmm. um, and that was okay too, because I knew that that was my default. If I had to, if I, if my page count got too high, I knew that was my default. If I took, if I took those scenes out or honed them down, I'd, I'd be cutting, I'd be taking 25 pages down to about four pages. So that was my, and it actually worked. Team it got player. me exactly, it got me exactly to the page count I needed it to get to. Um, but, but that, that was, that ended up, you know, I, I'm actually, Personally, I, I would have preferred to split the difference between what my editor asked me to cut and what I originally had. Um, so so it, it, it just as a numerical value, let's say that the flashbacks now amount to five total pages of content, whereas in my manuscript, it was 25 pages of total content. I probably would be happier splitting the difference and have it be about 14 pages you know, of total content yeah, yeah. Um, because I wanted to explore their pasts i want to explore their lives a little bit more because i think that i have fun stories to tell of of that and i also think that their past really informed them today quite a bit uh, especially andrea um and and i hope i get to a third book because if i do then then i can really do quite a bit more exploration of how her past informs her present yeah so as we're wrapping up then i know you're going to continue the story but for this book itself suburban dicks does the title refer to like andrea and kenny as your quote-unquote two detectives like dicks as in gumshoes both or yes, does it both. also refer to like suburban dicks as like the people who are involved in this murder mystery and conspiracy like as dickheads i guess i believe i believe that i landed on an absolutely wonderful all-encompassing title <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i That's came up saying, with the yeah. title and 
I came up with the title in 1995 almost immediately, and I never thought I'd ever get to use it. So I actually wrote it under different titles because I never thought I, I would be able to use Suburban Dicks as a title. I always had a Suburban Dicks mystery as the subtitle, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, but, but the book had at least one different title through its initial iterations. Um, but my agent, who was wary of it, uh, decided actually got outvoted by his own internal agency people who all said no 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 let's not change this title we tried a couple different title changes mm -hmm. he said no no keep this title because at the very least they're gonna the editors of the publishing companies will look at it and then if they want to buy it they of course have the right to determine you know whether they think it's going to be problematic it, it as with everything in corporate america when it comes to creativity everyone fears the possibility much more so than the reality ever seems to play itself out. Yeah. So the boogeyman effect. Yeah, there was fear that Walmart wouldn't carry it or Target wouldn't carry it or it never came to pass. The book is called Suburban Dicks. It, it is it is yes, an absolute double entendre. It, it you know, it is suburban private detectives and Dicks is even more so now than it was in 1995, an outmoded term for that. Mm -hmm. In 1995, more people would have gotten that than do today. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, I'm not, I'm not in the least bit surprised that the people in their 30s, even early 40s, have no real connection to the term dicks for private detectives because it's such a 20s, 30s, 40s thing. Yeah, you know, like gumshoe. Uh, yeah, and I'm 60, and and when I was reading any kind of books in the seventies or television or watching old movies is when I found out about it, but it, it wasn't necessarily as a result of present day writing in the seventies. It was watching an old movie, you know, right. where they <laughs> called them. Things. Yeah. So, so you were really stretching that rubber band a long way. <laughs> um, but, but, but yes, it, it, they are suburban private detectives whose personalities would lend themselves toward being called dicks. <laughs> um, so, so it, 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 it tried to encompass, it tried to encompass, uh, have my cake and eat it too. It tried to encompass both aspects of what the words connote. And last question then, like some of your most successful comics, like were like team ups, like Deadpool and Cable, New Mutants, New Warriors, X-Men, um, New Warriors was a crazy run. Thank you for that book. But what's Thank the secret, you for thanking me. <laughs> uh, what's the secret to like good chemistry between fictional characters? How do you know like uh, I, Cable and Deadpool would work, or just how do you know like Kenny and Andrew would work in Suburban Dicks? I know they have that childhood history, but what makes them like have good chemistry and that we would work together? I, I think that um, the the one thing that that I've found works best in team dynamics is a diversity of character. So you need to have characters that have different personalities. You need to have characters that have different um, different ethnic backgrounds, different histories, uh, different living situations in their, if it's superhero books in their civilian lives, they have to have different living situations. Um, I think that what you want most out of a team book and a comic book for good character interaction is the ability for the camera to move around in a scene of characters talking and allow their differences and, and, and how they see things be able to propel the conversation forward, all right? Uh, so, so their different views allow the focus of the conversation to evolve and move and flow, you know? Um, uh, conversely, you want them to look a little differently uh, because you, you want 
you want them to 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 have visual appeal so that you're not looking at a, a page with everybody having the same costume like the original x-men was mundane and boring to look at, mm -hmm. you know um and, and the flow between kenny and andrea works well because each of them have very clear very distinct very strong very understandable motives for doing what they are doing so they both want to get to the same place but they want to do it for completely different reasons that creates tension because you're working with someone you don't wholly 100 percent trust and, and it goes both ways you know mm -hmm. um and and the other thing is that I, I i'm not a big fan of characters that are always right or always wrong i i, I like i like to be able to explore the the things they do well when they do them and the things they do uh badly or poorly when they do them and and, and that allows great character interaction too because it, it defies the reader's expectations that every issue is going to be a thing a way you know mm -hmm. oh wow in this issue marvel boy who's usually the the stayed upright guy gets really angry and and and, and does some damage wow you know the other characters are just as surprised by that as the reader is because mm -hmm. it's not what they yeah. might have so it's it's about keeping that um all all flowing and, and going smoothly i um I got a great compliment when I was really younger, just a couple of years into writing for Marvel. Um, Mark Grinwald, who passed away in the 90s, was an uh, executive editor at Marvel and a, a really good friend of mine. Um, he told me that, that you can, if I close my eyes and someone else reads an issue of New Warriors, I know what character is talking, even if I'm not seeing the book. Correct. And, I was only a few years into my writing career at that point, and it was one of the greatest compliments I ever got, and to this day, one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten, because it it, it made me feel like I was doing something right. <laughs> I, I was giving each character character, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that creates an emotional investment and bond with the, the reader. And and I, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. I feel that I feel it's suburban dicks. Whether you like them or dislike them, I I believe both Andrea and Kenny are interesting characters mm -hmm. that that you can enjoy reading about, even if you disagree with them. And and in suburban dicks, and especially in the second book, um, they're not always right, you know. But they're also not always wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, Andrea Andrea in the second book is not as as righteous and and fervent about being right for the right reasons in the second book she may she may be doing too much of what she does in the second book for selfish reasons you know mm -hmm. kenny on the other hand who's now found more success and you'll see the status quo changes in the second book because it, it takes place a year later um it talked about shared superhero universes part of it is also the illusion of change so you you have to you have to advance your characters without completely disrupting the dynamic that you set in your story world, you know. So in, in the second book, Kenny's working out of offices in Manhattan four or five days a week because he's working on a Netflix documentary, and the first the book uh, Suburban Secrets is going to be coming out, and the Suburban <laughs> Secrets book is actually about 
the suburban dick story, you know, and I, and we introduced several new characters for him to interact with, which is the documentary team that he's working with. Um, and, and so, so there, there's an illusion of change. He's in a new world, new dynamic, finding success that only exacerbates so many of his own insecurities, you know. Um, but that the, the place he's at right now makes him look at Andrea more judgmentally now. You know, like, like, you know, she's still in the same place, as it were. Right. And, and as a result of it, is she trying to solve a murder in the second book that may not even be a murder? No one thinks it's a murder but her. So is she is she just creating drama because she's so desperate to be this to be this person to be this crime solver? You know what I mean? So so that creates a, within the parameters I believe that is wholly justifiable to the evolution of the characters. The dynamic becomes slightly different in the second book. You know, um, and, and 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 again that would that would also be the case in the third book too. So so um I I, I like the idea and that comes really comes from superhero comic book writing and monthly publishing especially that yeah. that you want to you want to create the idea that if you're a reader that's read 60 issues of new warriors you have seen a pretty logical progression of these characters so if you've read all 60 issues you understand those changes there's meat on those bones as it were and I'm trying to do the same thing with Suburban Dicks. Yeah, a kind of parallel to what you're talking about is what, like, Chris Claremont's X-Men run, right? Where, like, yeah. he really literally fleshed out each of those characters and gave them each different voices and accents and things like that that really kind of, like yeah. you said, kind of yeah. gave them a character. And so you got involved in those characters in that universe. And as you said, like, if you picked up an issue of X-Men uh, that Chris Claremont wrote, and like read it out loud you know which who's wolverine's talking and like cyclops and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah the only difference being that it would take you a lot longer to read one of chris's issues than it would oh, take yeah. you to read one of mine <laughs> oh he gets the jab at chris who he loves dearly yes he gets to poke at him <laughs> if chris was sitting right next to me right now he would just groan and mumble under his breath at me <laughs> The, yeah, poor Chris Claremont. Yeah, I know it was a lot of work. Um, a lot of words, man. <laughs> a lot of words, yeah. So, yeah, uh, your book, though, Suburban Dicks, is out now. The paperback will be coming out in May. And uh, there it is. That's the money. book shot. is out now, available at all bookstores where fine books are sold. Paperback will be out in uh, September. It's a slightly different cover, but similar in, in tone and color. And The Self-Made Widow is available for pre-order right now. Uh, 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 pretty much anywhere, Penguin Random House uh, website or through um, any major dealers. You can pre-order the book now. June 21st for that one, 2022. I didn't even realize it was June 21st till you told me earlier in the show. I knew it was in June. I just <laughs> I just didn't know what date. I didn't know what date in June it was. I just knew it was in June. That's, uh, um, that's what Google told me. That's what the website told me, the Penguin. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it is June 21st. Yeah, so, so Yes, like, coming out June 21st. <laughs> Sometimes you can read and believe what you like see on the internet. You know what I mean? You can, you can take some yeah, things yeah. at face value. But uh, thank you, Fabian, so much for like hanging out. Uh, we covered quite. My a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Yo, that was Fabian Nisiesa. I am Sammy, host of My Summer Lair. I highly recommend Suburban Dicks if you're searching for your next read for a number of significant reasons. 
One, it is super funny. I hope you picked up on that from our conversation. Dude is a really funny writer. So in between a typical like murder mystery thriller kind of thing where they're solving and there's dead bodies kind of thing, it's dope to have a couple of jokes every so often just grenaded into the mix, you know? Two, it keeps you guessing as you try to figure it all out. It's one of those novels where you have to establish who the killer is or the killers. Ironically, I'm not providing any clues whatsoever. I like those ones where you have to get involved. I did a bad job figuring it all out. I didn't get it right. Number three, Suburban Dicks is shaping up to become a series. I like that too with those kind of murder mystery thriller things. So it's fun to RSVP to a book series and spend a lot of time with these characters. It's kind of like comics in a way. Comics came out monthly while these books come are coming out yearly. So not really like comics in a way. Anyways, I still highly recommend Suburban Dicks for those reasons. If you agree or you disagree with me, you can yell at me at my summer layer for all three. Take your time. You can yell at me at each one of them individually. Uh, it's my summer layer for Twitter, my summer layer for Facebook, and my summer layer for Instagram. Or you can agree with me and say, this book is fantastic. Thank you so much, Sammy, for recommending it. I do hope you do check it out. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Suburban dicks, yo.